0: What if we told you that whiskey and vodka weren't just for drinking? It's true, Jason and Erica, owners of Distilled Bath & Body, created Pit Liquor. You heard me right, Pit Liquor. It's an all-natural deodorant that actually works. Ramona found Pit Liquor online and now says she's a customer of theirs for life. Pit Liquor is wonderful. They saved my under-up, number 28 under-ups for me. So I definitely love them and will be a customer as long as it keeps the smells away. Pit Liquor has no harmful chemicals or toxins and doesn't have any ingredients you wouldn't find in grandma's kitchen. I came across Pit Liquor online on Instagram. I saw an ad advertising no baking soda used in their product. So the difference between Pit Liquor and other natural deodorants is... I do not stink. I tried several, several different brands and either I end up with an itchy rash or it doesn't last. But Pit Liquor for me lasts all day. Pit Liquor's risk free guarantee should put your mind at ease. Head to pitlicker.com and use the promo code number one fan to save 11% and have it shipped straight to your home. That's hashtag one fan. welcome in to the bsn nuggets podcast presented by in we go
1: joined by a special guest Mason Plummer. i thought he was gonna knock that ref out in la <laughs> coaches will get testy with officials but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off yeah. i've never seen that before you should have taken a charge on him <funny>. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here. Friday edition of the show, we are recording this afternoon from Sports Column down here on Blake Street. They house us here on a Friday afternoon to record the podcast once in a while, so we're happy to be here. If you're in the area, make sure to check them out. Great food, beers, TVs as well. Great spot to watch college sports on the weekends, too. Nuggets host the Thunder tonight. A matchup I'm definitely looking forward to, had this one circled for a while. We spoke a lot about this matchup on Thursday, just kind of going through the history of it. These two teams, and we were talking about it with a lot of Thunder Beat Riders down at Shootaround this morning, here on Friday morning, and these two teams have had a lot of epic, classic games over the last couple of years. You think back to two years ago when Westbrook eliminated Denver from the playoffs, Hit 50 points, hit the triple-double record. The Denver crowd gave him a standing ovation that night. They've had some memorable ones over the years. Gary Harris hitting that game winner uh, last year. That's the one of most recent memory. But, I mean, this game, with as shorthanded as the Nuggets are, I don't know. I still get the feeling that this could be a close one tonight. They're always good games. Right. So I mean, even down three starters, even with the Thunder playing good basketball, Nuggets have been solid, Um, so I'm expecting a competitive matchup tonight. Thunder shoot-around was interesting. Nothing really crazy happened uh, with the Nuggets. I spoke with Monte Morris and Malik Beasley, Nikola Jokic spoke. There's an article up on bsndenver.com right now looking at why Trey Lyles has struggled so much from three-point range this year and how he's going about to fix those problems, so make sure to check that out if you're interested in reading up on that topic. But Thunder shoot around never disappoints. They've got some characters on that team. And I'm going to be careful about how I say this. I would love to cover Russell Westbrook because he's one of the most exciting players of all time. He's must-see TV when he's on the court playing. I talk about this all the time. The players that you just have to see in person, like once in your life put LeBron James in that category, I put Giannis in that category, I put Russ in that category. Like to watch him every night has got to be incredible. I'm not envious of the Thunderbeat writers who have to deal with him on a day to day perspective because he he's not one to really open himself up to the media a lot, I guess I'll say.
2: And the thing about him too is he seems to be a beloved teammate. I mean Paul George re up there for for three years in large part because He apparently loves Russell Westbrook, the person. I mean, Steven Adams and Russ seem to have a great relationship. So behind the scenes, he seems to be a a really well-liked guy. He just doesn't care about being liked by the media uh, whatsoever. Uh, I mean, he's really just kind of unknowable from a media perspective.
1: No, you're totally right. Russell Westbrook, from all accounts, is like an unbelievable person. Super charitable, gives back to the community. I mean, how many, like, coat drives and visits to schools as that guy do per year he's a plus in all those categories he's obviously a great teammate like you said Paul George has cited time and time again the relationship he has with Russell Westbrook was the main reason why he went back to Oklahoma City the money doesn't hurt but yeah that's the main reason he went back there but for whatever reason Westbrook doesn't show himself that way to the media and you know that's fine that's his choice he fulfills his obligations. Uh, he meets with the media uh, as often as his contract says he has to. Uh, but it was interesting this morning because Michelle Obama's in town. We mentioned that on Thursday show, how Pepsi Center was on lockdown with Secret Service agents everywhere following Nuggets practice on Thursday. She's on her book tour right now. I think she was at a couple Denver spots on Thursday and then spoke at Pepsi Center Thursday night. Westbrook and Michelle Obama, he said this morning had met up before, but I think they met up at a hotel this morning. Westbrook walked into shoot around this morning with her book under his arm, met with the media with her book under his arm. And we were trying to ask him a little bit about it, but he still you know, didn't want anything to do with it. So I thought maybe that would have been a topic that he would open up a little more about, but...
2: Well, especially when he sends out the tweet that, hey, I just met up with Michelle Obama, and it was great. His tweet was, it was insane running into Michelle Obama. She's been such an inspiration to my family, and I can't wait to read her new book, Becoming. Hashtag First Lady. But then when you ask him about it, uh, he's not real interested in talking about it. Yeah,
1: he said, if you guys want to ask me any questions about basketball, we can talk about basketball. Somebody asked him a question about basketball. He gave like a five-word response and then walked to the bus.
2: Whenever I was uh, interning at the Oklahoman right after college, I got to do Thunder stuff here and there, and it was really fun to hear Barry Trammell, the great sports columnist at the Oklahoman, kind of go back and forth with Russ. Um, I mean, Barry's just fantastic at his job, but he could never really get that much out of Russ.
1: <laughs> like I mentioned, there were a bunch of characters on the Thunder. Steven Adams had a memorable moment at shoot Around this morning. Mike Singer from The Post was asking... Steven Adams about Nikola Jokic, and he just referred to him as Nikola. He said, you know, what challenges does Nikola face? A question kind of like that. Steven Adams looks at him really hard, looks at all of us, looks over to the the Thunder PR guy, very confused, looks back at Mike, looks back to the Thunder PR guy and goes, who? Nikola who? And then I think somebody goes, Jokic, Nikola Jokic. He goes, oh, Jokic, right. Right. (laughs) So what we learned this morning is that Stephen Adams does not know Nicole Jokic's first name.
2: Another thing that we learned is Stephen Adams has a pair of flip-flops with Stephen Adams' face on it. Where do I get those flip-flops made with my own face, a caricature of it printed on my slides? (laughs) Because I kind of want those, man. Yeah, I want those, too. I want those, too. Stephen Adams is one of the best characters in the NBA. Just such a nice guy, too. Uh, um, I was doing a a Thunder Mavs game a couple years back, just, just helping out. And I went up to Steven Adams in the locker room after the game. I was like, hey, Steven, do you have a second to talk real quick? He's like, I got a lot of seconds, mate.
1: He is great. He is the opposite of Russell Westbrook when it comes to dealing with the media. But I don't mean to hate on Russ. I mean, he's an amazing player. He can do what he wants. You know, he fulfills his contractual obligations. It's not up to him to give length the answers if he doesn't want to. So, you know, there's really no uh, problem with it at the end of the day got a couple of random questions from Twitter I want to throw at you throughout the show. And once we take this break in a couple minutes, I want to come back and talk about December 15th. We're right on the cusp of it coming up this Saturday. And, of course, December 15th is the day when the Nuggets' trajectory as a franchise and organization really changed two years ago, inserting Nikola Jokic into the starting lineup, moving Yusef Nurkic to the bench, and really the rest is history. We'll talk about the meaning behind that date. In a little, I want to throw this question at you before we get out of here, though. Bballer120 on Twitter asks, in a playoff series, which Nuggets player besides Nicole Jokic and Paul Millsap do you trust the most? My first question to you is, who do you trust more between Nicole Jokic and Paul Millsap? And then my second question is, who do you trust the third most? Or do you trust another player before those two?
2: I mean, uh, I probably got the most confidence in Millsap just because we've seen him do it. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that we're going to see Nikola Jokic bring it in the playoffs. And I think there is a line of thinking that, hey, maybe Jokic won't be as effective because in the playoffs, teams are going to focus more on preventing those back cuts, which are you know important to what the Nuggets do offensively. And they're just going to put Jokic in the pick and roll like 80 times per game. But I think Jokic is a gamer, man. I mean... For just what I saw those last 18 games of the regular season last year, and particularly what I saw in that regular season do-or-die finale, I think Nikola Jokic is going to bring it when, when it comes playoff time. Um, as for the Nugget, I, I have you know confidence in doing his thing after those two guys. I mean, it's got to be Gary Harris, right? Gary Harris is going to get his 18, 19 points. He's going to do it efficiently. He's going to play pretty good defense. Uh, no you know, rain, shine, hot, cold, whatever. I mean, he always just does the same thing no matter what the circumstances are.
1: I totally agree. Gary Harris is that guy. Will Barton, I would also trust with my life in the playoffs right now, even though he hasn't really played a meaningful playoff game. He seems like a guy whose game wouldn't change in the playoffs at all. But you're right. Paul Millsap is a guy who you can probably just plug into the playoffs right now and you would know what to expect I like what you were saying about Jokic. I think throughout most of last season and maybe even the entirety of last season, I was a little worried about how his game would translate to the playoffs at times. But the effort that he's putting in this year on both ends of the floor, I mean, we've talked about it so much, is a 180-degree change from what it was a year ago. And and the maximum effort he's given on both ends of the floor, I mean, that's something that's going to translate to the playoffs. So I feel much more comfortable if Nuggets had to slide him into a playoff scenario this year then I would have last year. But yeah, Gary Harrison, Will Barton, you think would be solid. Um, of course, Millsap is going to be solid. So yeah. Montee Morris
2: is, is probably going to be solid too. And that's kind of weird to say after he's only appeared in like, uh, I don't know what, 30 NBA games or something like that. But I have almost the utmost confidence in
1: Morris too. Right. Leading the league in assist to turnover ratio. Captaining the Nuggets second unit, who has the best defensive rating in the league out of second units, or not even just second units, but five-man lineups who have played a significant amount of minutes, the Nuggets bench continues to impress. So yeah, I think I'd be pretty confident with him out there too.
2: This is kind of a, a quick Monte Morris tangent, but I was reading um, Bleacher Reports like top sixty NBA prospects at this point, and they had Trey Jones at, at twenty-two, and I thought this was an interesting note. Since 2007, only Monte Morris and Fred Van Vliet have finished a season averaging more than five assists and 1.5 steals and fewer than 1.5 turnovers per game. Um, Trey Jones is, is on track to do that. I say all this to say if you're a team in the, the second half of the first round, draft Trey Jones. It just seems like those, those high IQ, low mistake point guards like Morris, who went 51st, like Fred Van Vliet, who went undrafted. Those
1: guys are going to be NBA players, man. Trey Jones from Duke, uh-huh. correct? Yeah. Yeah, and he's probably, what, a five-star guy there getting overshadowed by Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, yeah. and uh, Jack White, who's the the guy they like to play alongside the four five-stars.
2: Yeah, I mean, he won't get slept on like Monte and Van Vliet were probably because of a situation, but I mean, I just feel like he's a guy in that kind of mold.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Let's go ahead and hit a break real quick. A lot more to get to. We'll discuss the significance of this December 15th date and what that's meant for the Nuggets franchise going back a couple years and how we still see kind of ripple effects of that even now. Let's take a break real quick, though. We'll be right back.
0: This podcast is presented by Inwego, the subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only 39 bucks per month with no additional cost or fees. You heard that right, as many events as you can fit into your schedule for only $39 per month. Brandon Spano's here and he's going to tell us a little bit about it.
2: Yeah, guys, this year alone I've been to Avalanche games, Nuggets games, Rockies games, Rapids games, Buffs games. I've been to concerts, uh, beer tastings, food festivals. I even went to a few comedy shows. So it's literally changed my life. <laughs>
0: if it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that Inwego can get you in. And here's where it gets good. We've partnered with Inwego to give BSN listeners a great deal. Go to Inwego.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe to get 50% off your first month. That's right. All the events you can handle for less than 20 Dollars for your first month. Try it and fall in love with it like we did here at BSN Denver. Go to inwego.com slash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50.
1: Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets Podcast, presented by InWeGo. Harrison Lind, and Christian Clark here, Friday edition of the show. Today we're recording from sports column down here on Blake Street. Make sure to check these guys out if you're in the area. December 15th, Christian, that is Saturday's date. It was also the date two years ago where I like to say the outlook, the trajectory, the feel about this organization really changed for good. And obviously that was behind Nikola Jokic and inserting him into the starting lineup two years ago for Yusef Nurkic. And you know the Nuggets identity was really formed on that day that is still present when looking at this current team. What does that date mean for you? when you're just looking back at it, two years removed now from the actual game where that starting lineup change took place. And what a lot of us thought we might have with this Nuggets team actually kind of turned out to be true. Well, I think
2: it's the word you just used, identity. That's when Denver got one. They were kind of a a rudderless organization before that. I mean, they were obviously rebuilding, but... There, it, it just it just wasn't clear which way it was going to go. It wasn't clear who were they going to be. They had some some interesting pieces, but they didn't have an identity. And ever since they in, inserted Nikola Jokic, made him the starting center on December fifteenth, almost two years ago to the day, they've had that that identity. Their identity is they're going to play the beautiful game around this this freaking six foot ten weirdo who's the best passing center ever. I mean, I think he's already there. Uh, I, I wrote that big. You know, passing guide to centers this summer, and I think he's already ahead of even a a Bill Walton. Um, I think he's probably ahead of Sabonis, who had incredible skill. I mean, I think he's already the the best passing center to ever do it. And, you know, he's just this completely unique player. He's almost this unprecedented combination of size and skill.
1: Yeah, that was well put. They really did not have an identity back on December 15th two years ago. I mean, look at these guys that played that night against Portland. Actually, let's look at the rotation and the starters that played the game before December 15th, 2016. It was in Dallas. The Nuggets lost 92-112. to They shot like 40% from the field, under 30% from three. The guys who started that game, Emmanuel Moutier, Will Barton, Daniil Gallinari, Darrell Arthur, Yusef Nurkic. It was a team... Caught really between two eras, you felt like. It was caught between the George Carl era with the Gallinari's of the world, the Kenneth Farid's of the world, the Wilson Chandler's of the world who played 23 minutes in this Dallas game, uh, the Jameer Nelsons of the world to an extent. And then you kind of had the new wave coming in uh, under the Connolly era, the, the guys who he had drafted who were you know, getting their feet wet in the league. The Yousef Nurkic's, the Emmanuel Moutier's, the Wancho's, uh, the Murray's, and obviously the Jokic's. So the Nuggets were like in this bridge period for so long, it felt like. Kind of debating, you know, do we put all our cards in around Nurkic? Uh, Do we put all our cards in around Jokic? What about Moutier? What about Murray? They had all these pieces, but it really did seem from that moment onward and even to an extent talking about an Emmanuel Moutier who, you know, was eventually phased out of things last year at the trade deadline. But from this point on, it seems like more of a direction was established, right?
2: And the thing about it too was it popped almost immediately. Um, the Nuggets went 31-26 and 26 in 2016-17 after they rearranged things around Jokic. They had 115 offensive rating for a four-month stretch there. That is incredible. I mean, that was better than what the Warriors put up during that, Mark, when the Warriors were just this freaking machine. It was pretty remarkable. Um, I mean, Nuggets were playing no defense in those days either. That's, that's obviously improved. But it was, it was just immediately clear that, oh, there's something here.
1: Yeah, the defense is funny because even last year in the 27-18 season, They didn't play much defense this year. Obviously, things had changed. And, you know, we look at Paul Millsap as this defensive anchor and the guy who's really instilled a lot of defensive values. And that's true, but like Nikola Jokic deserves so much effort for the defensive impact he's had this year. I've said multiple times, I don't just think he's an average defender or a league average defender. I think he's an above average defender this year, a good defender this year. And I'll admit, I didn't know if that was possible. Even at this December 15th date, even last year, uh, at a lot of different points throughout the season, I didn't know if he could develop into an above-average defender. It didn't seem like he wanted to defend, even going back to December 15th when the offense was going crazy. It didn't seem, or I guess there were questions of if, if he had that will to defend. He seemed perfectly comfortable just you know, giving up a basket, and then he was so good on the offensive end, he could just go get it right back. It took a while for that to click, but yeah, everything did click on the offensive end of the floor uh, from December 15th onward, and there's probably not many guys in the league, right, that you could just insert, and that would have that big of an impact and that kind of big of an umbrella over an entire offensive scheme, I would think.
2: Yeah, I mean, Jokic, I mean, there are a a lot of really great players in the NBA, but you know, I think one of the things that makes Jokic unique is that he's pretty much responsible for, for playing the, this free-flowing, improvisational offensive style the Nuggets like to go to. It, it only works because of him. I mean, Gary Harris is a really good player, but I think he probably looks a little bit better because, you know, he thrives in a certain system. I, I think Jamal Murray had a really nice year scoring the ball, and he did it efficiently. And I think Jamal Murray's an excellent player. I just don't think those numbers would have looked quite as nice if he was in... A different situation. I mean, it is true that Jokic makes everyone around him a little
1: bit better. I don't think that's just a cliche. Let's revisit a little what happened in the lead up to December 15th, because there's a lot of background stuff that was going on at the end of Jokic's rookie year throughout that summer. And then at the beginning of this season, before we got to December 15th, that kind of paved the way for this to happen. At the end of Jokic's rookie year, he and Nurkic started a couple games together. And I remember at the time I was a big proponent of that. I was like, all right, you've got these two big men. You're not playing for anything. And this was when, you know, the Nuggets were already eliminated from the playoffs. Just let's see what Nikola Jokic and Yusef Nurkic have together. Let's see if these guys can play together in the front court. And the Nuggets did that for a few games at the end of last season. They got some data, they got some video on it. And then. We come into next season, and Michael Malone says at his media day press conference that, hey, we're going to see if we can play these two guys together. Um, We have two great young centers who, you know, they're not just one-dimensional. They're not just back-to-the-basket scorers. They can pass. They can shoot. They can play make. We're going to play to our strengths and play with our size and see if these two guys can play together. What do you remember about that time in – Nuggets history at that press conference. <laughs> that, that, uh, introductory, or
2: not introductory press conference, that Media Day press conference was one of the first things I covered up close being around this team. That was sort of the time when, you know, everyone was making a de- big deal out of the Warriors' death lineup and, and them going small with Draymond Green at center. And I remember Malone saying, We're, you know, we're going to zag when everybody else is zigging. You know, we're going to, we're going to almost play like the Memphis Grizzlies grit and grind teams. And I, I don't know, I wasn't optimistic that it was going to work, but I don't blame the Nuggets at all for wanting to try it because those are two of the most talented dudes on the entire roster. So why not find out if you have something there? And, you know, 25 games in, it became
1: pretty apparent that, no, there's nothing there. Right. So Jokic and Nurkic start the season together. There weren't a lot of high points, I don't think. There weren't a lot of games where you watched and were like, oh, this has some potential, you know, this is popping, everything's clicking here. Those moments were really few and far between. And then, of course, Jokic goes to the bench. He asks to come off the bench at one point leading up to December 15th. And then, eventually, the Nuggets make the switch back to Jokic. And at that point, I don't know what you remember about it, but... It seemed like all signs were pointing towards this team building around Nikola Jokic. He had showed a lot of stuff coming off the bench and starting and even going back to his rookie year. A lot of people point to that game in San Antonio against Tim Duncan as the game he really took off, and the game that opened a lot of people's minds and said, hey, this guy can be a franchise cornerstone. But it definitely did seem like, you know, Nurkic wasn't going to be in the plans anymore at that point. It was pretty obvious he didn't want to come off the bench. And look, he's a starting caliber center in this league, so he should be starting somewhere. But it, it was pretty clear. You didn't even have to dig too deep that Jokic starting and Nurkic coming off the bench was probably never going to work, right?
2: Yeah, and it was pretty ironic, too, that the Nuggets opponent in, in the game that really launched this, this run and this kind of era of Nuggets basketball – they faced the Portland Trailblazers that game. They they made Jokic the starting center. That's where Yusuf Nurkic ended up, and now we've got kind of uh, a little rivalry because of all that. But it's it's funny that you know the game that kind of sealed Jokic, or Nurkic's fate in Denver, um, they ended up trading him to that
1: team a couple of months down the road. Right. Looking back at that trade, we could revisit it a little bit here. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago on BSNDenver.com just about how Mason Plumley's kind of rewritten the narrative there, right? Like, the Nuggets were kind of slammed for that trade, giving up Nurkic, a starting caliber center, and a pick for Plumley, a guy who was going to come off the bench in Denver, but who was a starter in Portland. That's one of the rare win-win trades that you see in the NBA. I really do think the Blazers are in a better place now with Nurkic rather than Plumley. In the aggregate, you know, I'm actually not sure who the better player is. I know I probably said Nurkic before, but probably based on what situation you're in, what players you have around them, I think you can make an argument that Plumlee might be the more useful player. I mean, Nurkic is probably just like a better player in a vacuum, but I think you can make an argument for Plumlee on some teams like the Nuggets. Nurkic does raise their ceiling, though, raise the Blazer ceiling compared to where it was with Plumlee. And, I mean, now the Nuggets have one of the best, if not the best, backup centers in the league who can give them 17, 18, 19, 20, eight plus minutes a night. And he's going to be okay in that role, right? Like, Mason Plumlee wants to return to a starting lineup one day, but he's not going to pout like Yusef Nurkic might have if he's in a backup role.
2: Yeah, I think I think Nurkic is the better player in a vacuum, but there's no question that Plumlee is the better player for the Nuggets in their current situation, you know, one of the best parts about Plumlee is that he's such a humble guy and, and so willing to accept his role. There are just going to be some nights when Jokic is balling, when he only might get into the game for, for 12 minutes. And you know Mason Plumlee is going to give A-plus effort, you know, no matter if he's in there for 12 minutes or he's in there for 25 minutes on any given night. You're going to get consistent effort from him. You know, the biggest difference in the pieces around Jokic this year compared to last, The Nuggets in 2016-17 and 2017-18, they just got crushed whenever Nikola Jokic went to the bench. I mean, I think if you're looking for probably the biggest reason right up there with defense, why the Nuggets didn't make the playoffs those last two years is they were a bad team when Nikola Jokic went to the bench. Um, Here's some raw totals, Jokic on-off numbers from the last three years. Nuggets were a plus 299 with Jokic on 2016-17 minus 257 with him off. The next year, plus 353 with Jokic on, minus 232 with him off. This year, all that's changed. The Nuggets are plus 127 with Jokic on. They're plus 43 with him off. They're still in the positives when Nikola Jokic goes to the bench this year, and that's mainly because they had this killer bench unit with Mason Plumlee and Monte Morris and all those guys in between.
1: Definitely great point. Gotta take another break real quick, but let me throw this question out at you before we get out of here. This comes from Willie Estrada on Twitter. What should the Nuggets record be at the end of the month to stay ahead in the playoff fight? Obviously they got a lot of tough games coming up. Willie says going four and three in the remaining games of the month and being twenty two and twelve overall is best case. I came into this month with all the injuries saying, Hey, if they can stay at 500, if they can get into January 2019 at 500 when I think you'll see most of that, most of the guys on the injury report right now come back, whether that's a Gary Harris or a Paul Millsap, Will Barton might be back before then. If they can just get by playing 500 basketball until January 1st, I think they'll be all right. This isn't necessarily the toughest part of their schedule. There's some home games here they have a lot of off days in between games which they 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 can use to get healthy but I do think 500 the rest of December should be their goal I think it's pretty attainable what do you think yeah that's obtainable
2: I mean they only have one more gimme game the rest of the month that's they're going to Phoenix on December 29th to play the Suns who are just an absolute mess right now but other than that I mean they're all tough games I know the Spurs kind of stink or they're, they're not as good this year but the Nuggets have had a lot of issues winging San Antonio over the years. I don't know. I'm not i am not ready to say, like, those are gimme games either. I mean, they're all going to be tough. Five, 500 would be a good mark for them.
1: I don't know about that Suns game. They had their way with your Mavs the other <laughs> night, a, a playoff-caliber team, I've heard. What did the Mavs do? Go one for 30 from three? <laughs> Something like that. But, yeah, that should be a win the Nuggets get in Phoenix, especially if they keep pulling Devin Booker out here.
2: Yeah, Dirk was pretty hilarious last night, by the way. He hit that one jumper. He made his season debut last night. He hit that one jumper, which was gorgeous, but he also fell down like five times. Uh, he kind of looked like the Tin Man. He needed to be like oiled up or something like that.
1: But what about how skinny Dirk looked? He looked like he hadn't eaten in weeks last night. Yeah, he looked
2: a little bit thin. <laughs> I mean, maybe he just needs to check out a couple of barbecue places in Dallas, get some brisket in him.
1: Yeah, definitely. All right, let's take another break here. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast.
2: The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our
0: neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixenol a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinal's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out Elixinal.com.
1: Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets Podcast presented by In We Go. Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark here Friday afternoon, getting set for this Nuggets Thunder game. We're at Sports Column right now. We'll be at Pepsi Center later on tonight, kind of on the theme of December 15th. Obviously, Nicole Jokic was a second year player back then. He's come a long way in the last couple seasons. Where have you seen maybe the most growth from him or one of the areas where you've seen him grow the most over these past couple of years?
2: Oh, man. I think one of the obvious answers is on the defensive end. I think that Jokic did not take a whole lot of pride uh, on the defensive end when he first started out. I remember two media days ago, you know, he was asked about defense and the need to improve there. And he's like, defense, love doing that. It, it was just kind of a sarcastic answer, and and it, it cracked me up. You know, I think yogurt's definitely thought that he could just outscore people and the Nuggets could get to where they want to go. And I think that was kind of true to some degree, but I think he's starting to realize that for them to comfortably be in the playoffs and not have to sweat it out and for them to have playoff success, then he's going to have to try on that end, and he has been trying on that end this year.
1: I've seen so much growth in – I think leadership might be the wrong word, but just how comfortable he is using his voice, particularly on the court. Like, how many times game to game now do we see him yelling at guys, telling guys where to go, uh, getting frustrated with guys, even uh, pointing guys in the right direction, like telling guys where he wants the ball to be? We didn't see a lot of that stuff before December 15th, even after December 15th really uh, up until the start of this season we hadn't seen a lot of that stuff from Jokic. We saw it like in bits and pieces last year, but this year I just really feel like he's using his voice a lot more on the court and I don't know if that's really translated over to the locker room. I still think that's kind of the final frontier for him in using his voice, but it's helped him out defensively a lot. Using your voice is so crucial on the defensive end of the floor. It's kind of your biggest friend when defending, and he wasn't very vocal, which hurt him at times defensively over his first few seasons in the league. Uh, but on both ends of the floor, he's he's not afraid to speak up, I guess, which I think was the case early on in his career.
2: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point. I, I'm with you. He's, he's not nearly as deferential as he was two years ago when the games are actually going on. You know, I think Jokic deserves a lot of credit for that. I think Mike Malone and Paul Millsap deserve some credit too for helping Jokic get to that place where he's comfortable with his voice being heard while the game's going on. I mean, Paul Millsap had a couple conversations with Jokic last year privately, you know, I've heard, it, and then publicly he came out and said that this is his team. Things have got to run with run through him. I think that was pretty big for Jokic. You know, he. I think he still does have a little ways to go Kind of being the leader, you know, in like the the post game locker room sessions or whatever. I don't, I still don't think he's that comfortable with the spotlight, but he's come a long way in a short amount of time.
1: And I'm not sure if he'll ever be that guy. To be brutally honest, that's going to stand up in the middle of the locker room and give a rah rah speech. If I had to bet on it, I'd say he's never that guy, and that's okay. You don't need your best player, your star player, to be that guy. I think that's a common misperception in this league that the best player on every team has to be this raw, raw leader behind closed doors. That's not how it works. And I think it's fine if Jokic isn't that guy. But, no, he can make strides in that area. I do think the Nuggets deserve a lot of credit, and this goes from management to Michael Malone, like you were saying, for putting Jokic in the right position to succeed, but also being patient with him, right? Like, how many GMs out there, how many... Old school coaches would get just so frustrated with some of Jokic's habits, like how immature he's been in the past. Uh, just like how how much he jokes around on the side, how he's rarely serious. Like in a in some settings, you got to think a lot of coaches who are more of the hardline guys, a lot of executives, you know, who are more traditional ones. They wouldn't put up with that as much as the Nuggets have. So I think the Nuggets deserve credit for taking the long view with him, being patient with him, and just kind of working with him and helping mold him into the guy he is today.
2: Yeah, and just letting him be him, right? right. Because I don't think that a lot of coaches would do that. And it's funny when you talk about Michael Malone. I think that he is kind of old school in a lot of ways. I think, you know, sometimes at his very core, he, he probably gets the urge to, to – to shape the Nuggets like the 80s bad boy Pistons. But overall, that's not what he's done. I mean, he he's unleashed Jokic and, you know, encouraged the Nuggets to play this Jokic ball style. And I don't know. I mean, it, it, I guess maybe he isn't an old school coach as much as we like to think of him as one.
1: He does give off an aura of being an old school guy, but the way they played around Jokic this season – the offense that they've run, you can't really call him that by any means.
2: Yeah, whenever you hear Dirk Nowitzki talk about what allowed him to have success, he always talks about Don Nelson letting him be him and giving him confidence that you really could win with a jump-shooting big man as your best player. And I think there is something similar that's gone on with Jokic. Not a lot of coaches would have turned over the keys to a facilitating six ten big man and shaped things around him.
1: Right. Here's a question from Corey before we wrap up here. When slash if guys like MPJ and Vanderbilt get healthy next season, good players like Torrey, Wancho, and Malik could see themselves rotting at the end of the bench. Is this trade deadline the time to sell high on these guys given their good play as of late? That's going to be a hard no from me. I believe the Nuggets might envision – like getting their healthy roster back maybe as their trade deadline acquisition. Like if they get an Isaiah Thomas back, getting Will Barton healthy, getting Gary Harris back, getting Paul Millsap recovered from that broken toe in January or late January, maybe that's more their trade, line, trade deadline acquisition. I don't think I really envision Denver making a big move, which is how this season has gone so far. I think they like how their starters play really well together. I think they like how deep they are off the bench. So I'm sure they'll be active like they always are, but I wouldn't anticipate really a big move coming. And you can't really move on from guys like Torrey and Wancho and Malik for nothing because you've got these guys waiting in the wings. I mean, we don't know what Michael Porter Jr. is going to bring if he does play this season, if he does play next season. We don't know for sure what Jared Vanderbilt is going to bring. Like The Nuggets are operating in the here and in the now right they're not really operating with an eye on next season
2: yeah and I think we have a pretty good idea that the Nuggets are good I mean they've they're they've gone 18 and 9 despite this rash of injuries but we don't really know what this team is going to look like when it's at full strength we think they're going to kick butt with this starting lineup that we spent all summer talking about and the limited sample size that those guys have played together they've crushed it but we don't know exactly what the Nuggets are going to be yet. So, yeah, I mean, I would, I would not anticipate any major shakeups because of that.
1: Last question here from Mario. Any updates on Vlaco Chanchar? <laughs> <laughs> Could the Nuggets bring him over this season like they did to Joffrey Laverne? I'm not quite sure what his contract situation is. I'd be very surprised if they looked at bringing him over. I mean, I don't think we really know if he's quite ready yet. Next year, you know, that might be a different story. Quick update on him, though. He is averaging 10.3 points per game, 48.8% shooting from the field, 31% shooting from three, four and a half rebounds a game, and assists, almost a steal, almost half a block a game. So I don't think he's necessarily blowing the doors off over in Europe, uh, but I I would focus on him more for next season. It needs Monte Morris to set him up, man. (laughs) Right. Monte Morris feeding him in transition, they're unstoppable. Right, right. All right, well, I think that's all the time we got for today. Thanks for listening, guys. Enjoy the game against the Thunder here on Friday, and we'll talk with you soon.
0: Dr. Rick and his team at Belmar Chiropractic focus on getting to the root cause of your problem instead of chasing symptoms. The results have been like above and beyond anything I could have ever expected. My pain is completely gone, full of energy, even throughout my entire pregnancy. He was able to adjust me and it sounds crazy to say, but like no back pain throughout my whole pregnancy. That was just really amazing. It's better than anything I could have expected for sure. That was Caitlin. Like her, many people who had looked everywhere and tried everything finally found relief and healing at Belmar Chiropractic. It makes you feel really comfortable because he always tells you what he's doing before he actually does it. So I always felt really, really comfortable and they're all so warm and welcoming as well, which is always great. Dr. Rick can help decrease anxiety and depression, reduce stress, improve mental focus and clarity, provide better quality of sleep, boost your immune system, and so much more. He's definitely the most knowledgeable chiropractor I've ever been to. And I've actually have recommended him to many, many of my friends and coworkers. Give Belmar Chiropractic a call today at three oh three-two three three one two three six.